today is a crypto day and I want to kind of talk about price action and market cap and all these other key little features that you hear throughout all the different kinds of finance markets, not just the crypto. And so I want to talk about how they use these features to kind of pull you in when, you know, you really should just be doing your own research and looking up and finding and figuring it out. So I'm just going to go over all that with you real quick today. And um, it might be a little technical, but I'm going to try to keep it as as no technical as possible. today's backlog is just going to be about some key terms really so what is an asset an asset is something that you can purchase and sell um, from money from metals materials goods products and about anything can be considered an asset um, for a good example bitcoin is considered a commodity which your house is a commodity your car is a commodity um, i believe like life insurance plans could be considered a commodity um, and some other things like that. So uh, it's not just physical, but it's also contracts and non-physical um, goods and merchants and products and stuff. So um, what is like a market cap? Market cap is the, uh, the last sell, major sell price multiplied by the number of circulating coins or supplied coins or whatever uh, market cap really gets used to pull people in for crypto like all coins mostly um, but also Bitcoin and then like metals gold and stuff like that and then stocks I mean stocks is probably where they abuse market cap the most um, and we'll get into how that happens and stuff but let's go with some more key f- terms um, when we're talking about like um, the trading view, that's just a uh, chart of the value, of the price of the, that asset going up and down day by day or hour by hour, minute by minute or second by second. So we can see how it's been doing over time. At various points of time, we can make markings on it, record things on it and stuff like that. So that's what trading view is. When you hear that, it's a chart. That's all it really is. And then... TA is technical analysis, then you have like FA, which is um, futures analysis, and then you have like um, EA, which is economics analysis, and then you have like, um, a lot of people call FA can when they're talking about in real world scenarios, but it's not actually what it is, it's when there's a major financial scenario. So there is WA, or world analysis, and all this, all these analyses are are looking at either a chart or a situation or a scenario or a law or um, a tokenomic impact of how it might affect a different asset's value. Um, so, for example, if a new currency came out today that um, worked exactly like Bitcoin, but was you know, like just cheaper to transact Bitcoin and cheaper to do and everything and easier to run then it could potentially cause the price of Bitcoin to go down and for example we've seen that in the past or stuff like that you know quick FA causes it to go down but then TA causes it to go back up and we say that in those terms causes it to because it means that someone went online publicly and talked about something 
that directly seemed to impact the price. So price value is the perceived value of that product. Now there is like three different values of a product. Every product has three values. It basically has um, overall perceived value over the basic price they purchase. It has the um, manufacturing uh, price value where how much does it cost to actually make it, ship it, and get it to the people. And then you have uh, speculative uh, value, which is the um, potential value of a product or an object or an asset it may have. So say you go out and buy um, a comic book or a book, and uh, you know, say you go out and buy a comic book or a book where the author is dead, and if that person or the author or whatever is dead, then the future perceived value could increase over time because they can't make any more. So, you know, their, their, their uh, art or their words or whatever, it becomes, uh, they can't be saturated into the market, so there's less opportunity for the value to go down. So, I mean, that's kind of how that works. And um, any one of those three values can actually cause um, price fluctuations in weird ways, and we'll get into that. But yeah, that's probably the most you really need to know. Those are the most technical terms that most people get caught up on. And um, and as you are doing your own research, you'll notice that different people claim each one to have different points and concepts and how they work and stuff. And that's just kind of how the financial system works. It's like there's not a set way to do anything. They try to make it a set way to do stuff. But it, it didn't really work. Chillers and people online and YouTubers, they kind of killed all that by not knowing what they actually are and then using the words incorrectly and causing all sorts of weird crap. You know, it's like in the crypto space, we don't have derivatives, even though some of these cryptos do have derivatives. Um, we have airdrops, you know, and we don't have, you know, in the crypto space, we, we have coin upgrades, but they don't call them coin upgrades. They they call them airdrops and so you get terms in some spaces where they just kind of consolidate everything to one term and then in other spaces that, that one term actually breaks down to five six seven terms and um, it's not really a matter of traditional non-traditional it's more or less a matter for you talking to and so quite a bit of financials is it changes from person to person it changes from state to state city to city country to country um, every situation, every little point of the situation you're in can actually change the value of whatever you're holding, whatever you're you know, using, um, even the price of your gas. So. Okay, so going over actual information for today, let's look at Bitcoin. So Bitcoin is right around $30,000. It's just under $30,029 something. And... Um, it's kind of been in this parabolic phase, which, you know, people who've been in the crypto space for at least um, six or more years already saw this coming because every time there's a Bitcoin halving, shortly after there is a parabolic phase because um, basically the demand for Bitcoin doesn't change, but the amount of Bitcoin being minted uh, per 10 minutes does. It goes down. So that actually causes um, natural scarcity. And it's a natural scarcity in a way where it's like, you know, it 
can affect the price. Where if you had a natural scarcity that was called, like let's go more unnatural scarcity. If you had an unnatural scarcity where a company burned a bunch of tokens or a company burned a bunch of stock or something, or they you know recalled a bunch of product, um, it that might cause um, scarcity amongst that individual thing. Well, you know this is a, a currency. Um, Bitcoin, for example, you know, was the example. And when you have a natural scarcity within that kind of system, it really affects everything that's going on. So something, I did a podcast a few months ago where it talked about, hey, you know, the scarcity of Bitcoin isn't really there anymore. And I was talking about, we got it, we'll see what happens after the happening. And, you know, after the happening, and as, you know, we're starting to see that scarcity. Um, but basically what that means is before the halving, there was so many ways to get Bitcoin, so many ways to purchase it, obtain it, that you could actually obtain more Bitcoin in a year than what was being minted in a year. And that slowly drove down how much Bitcoin is actually available. And then a couple of companies, and I say a couple, it's actually like four or five went in and just purchased literally um, as much Bitcoin as they could. And then there are companies like PayPal that they partnered with another company that already had cryptocurrency and they're performing offline transactions, which means they never have to actually perform a real transaction, which means you're not actually buying and selling crypto on PayPal. You're buying what we call paper assets. And paper assets are common. Like Robinhood uses paper assets. They don't actually have to own a whole lot. They can own one one stock of each asset that they trade and sell. Like they let people buy and sell. And I mean, like that's the reality of it. That's just how it works. And they're kind of using everyone's money coming in to handle everyone's money coming out. And it's damn near a Ponzi scheme. The reason why it's not a Ponzi scheme is because it's stock. If it was a cryptocurrency system, it would be a Ponzi scheme because that's kind of the basic setup of a Ponzi. <laughs> and and so um, when these people, they're, when people are shillers, people who are trying to get you to buy something or invest in something you probably wouldn't normally invest in, and they're shilling because they got paid or they're going to get paid to get you there. So what they do is they they, they talk about Oh, the price value of this asset has gone up. Price value of this asset has gone up. But if you're doing research and stuff, then you know not to buy an asset that's going up. You you when you see an asset going up, and you think it's going to keep going up, whatever, you're supposed to watch it for it to dip, and then you buy the asset. And then you don't just buy as much as you can at once. You break down your purchase into multiple purchases, and you daily cost average or I, I call it value cost average, your purchases to try to lower the price you need to sell to make your money back. And so, you know, they're going to be using, oh, the price of Bitcoin's at 30000 You know, it's only going to go up, blah, blah, blah. And people who are anti-Bitcoin will go out and say, well, it's just going to go down, blah, 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 blah. Like Peter Schiff is a good example. He... He even actually made that statement. He was like, well, what happens if it just goes down 90%, blah, blah, blah. And 
where he doesn't understand it's like sure i mean we're expecting a anywhere between a 40 and 70 percent dip um we're probably still like a month away or two months away from that um but it could happen tomorrow today yesterday and basically what he was saying was all these people are trying to get you in because they keep talking about it's just going to go up and he's saying it could dip tomorrow what are you going to do if you buy it today and it dips tomorrow 70 percent well same thing you would with any other asset or stock or product. You hold on to it until it goes above the price you want to sell. Now, that has hurt people before. You know, there are people still holding bags, hoping that that bag pumps, but it'll never, never will. You know, it's a debt project or whatever. Um, but, you know, people who have been in the crypto space for at least one bear market and the last previous bull market they understand that this is a short-lived thing, and so people are already, like, you know, cashing out their uh, unrealized P&L, which is a, a trading term. This basically means that they have um, profit that they didn't realize they had, or they, they have profit that they, they're not seeing. So they're cashing out their profit, basically, and people are, who mine, they're buying products and electronics to be able to mine, you know. And... Um, as it goes down, because normally, as a a crypto price of a of a crypt a price of a crypto goes down, you normally want to start getting it then, mining it and stuff. Normally, when you have these huge bear drops, which is when the price dips over like forty five percent, whenever you have these big dips, um, it, it really causes a huge amount of uh, people purchasing and people. Um, actually selling, which is really weird, but then also people like mining it and stuff. And so that's kind of the difference between like Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, and non-cryptocurrency. Even like the difference between proof-of-work, proof-of-stake. You can mine proof-of-work coins. You can't mine proof-of-stake coins. So that's the huge difference right there, is like um, your ability to actually mine it and get it without costing anything compared to where you have to make a purchase. And so there's always this way where even the price of Bitcoin goes down to zero, people are still going to mine it. People are still going to use it as cash be, or as money because, well, they don't, you know, they might not have a choice or they want that um, anonymity or they they want that world transferability, you know. It's how it's being used that causes it to have value. And even when Bitcoin was at zero price, people still bought and sold Bitcoin as if it had value. They just, you know, uh, maybe I was, you know, like with me, I was using Bitcoin to get servers, better servers and more reliable servers than what I had access to so I could run online businesses. And so there's always, these people are always going to find ways to use it. So, oh yeah, I was, I was sending Bitcoin to another Bitcoin miner to get servers that they had. So they might have shut down their Bitcoin miner for, you know, a month and allowed me to use it as a server. So the price of Bitcoin for them is how much would that machine make me? And then I just have to pay them that and maybe a little bit extra. So I mean, the price really differs differently. And with proof-of-work systems, or coins we have mining, um, that adds into the manufacturer value. Because like if you have a toy or a comic book, um, let's go back to the comic book ideal, and it you know it has to be has to have time out to 
be written, drawn, edited, you know, all this work and the, you know, just the book. And then after that, it's all going to be digitized and, and you got to find someone to print it and build them, put them together and ship them and then hold them and sell them. So I mean, there's a lot to it, right? Well, I mean, cryptocurrency, it, it's very similar with proof of work. You got to have people that can um, code out these these miners. They can get all these um, manual, you know, this uh, product, you know, the miners, the GPUs, CPUs, ASICs, all these different little machines to do the mining. They got to have electricity, they got to have internet. And so there is this cost to mine the product. So if the value of, a, of an asset goes below its cost to mine, then it's basically, or cost to build, like if a comic book was to dip below the price it cost, you know, the average price based on how much it cost to, to make that among all the other ones also, then you're looking at a, an issue where you have basically a dying asset. And Bitcoin, for example, has never dipped below the price it costs to mint Bitcoin. And that's because Bitcoin can be minted on a CPU. And so the price to mint Bitcoin can be extremely low. But at the rate that the miners are going right now, I mean, it actually is very high. To mine Bitcoin and be able to get Bitcoin, I mean, you're looking at like a fifteen dollars to $25,000 investment. And... Um, when the price of Bitcoin dips, it's most likely going to go pat under that. It's going to go to like 7000 5000 um, 9000 somewhere in that range. That's what we're really looking at. And that's a huge dip, right? But at the same time, um, it's going to be going under the price it costs to mine, which means there's going to be uh, quite a bit of miners. They're going to switch off that network and start mining onto another network where it's more profitable in that circumstance because of the price action. But then there's still going to be tons of miners that are not going to move. So that price action going below the cost to mint is going to allow people to literally drop the price it costs to mint. So it will be actually be cheaper to mint Bitcoin, which means it didn't ever go below. I mean, like, it's no longer below that price, which allows it to then increase in value. And that's how, like, FA causes... TA, so the um, the the actual assessment and overview of okay the price went below the cost of mint so I need to move my mining over to a different coin so that way I I'm not losing money right away um, and take a hit on the long run without losing on the short run and then your TA is affected because okay price of Bitcoin dipped below the cost of mint. Um, 24 hours later, the cost of mint went down, which means it's no longer below it, which means it's no longer dying at. So, I mean, like, you have all these all these things. And with cryptocurrency, like Bitcoin, for example, uh, going below the cost of mint isn't a big deal because, like I said earlier, the whole minor thing, but even if, say, no, no miners ever switched, it goes below the cost of mint and miners don't switch. The price to mint Bitcoin will still be high, which means with Bitcoin, it'll be an undervalued asset. And that's actually really hard to get, having an undervalued asset. You hear it all the time, though. It's a big shiller thing. Oh, 
this is an undervalued asset. And they, they say that because you hear, it, when you hear undervalued, you think, oh, price can go up. It could go higher. Um, but really what that means is that the value of that asset is below the cost of building. That's really what it means. And that's where, you know, doing your own research on these terms will teach you that, okay, this person is telling me that undervalued asset means the price is going to go up. But this person over here who isn't even trying to sell me anything, who probably is a professor at college or something or wrote papers or whatever, you know, they're saying undervalued asset and especially traditional markets is when the value of that asset is below the cost to make it. And then, you know, you can start to really determine differences between who can you trust and who can you not trust. There's a lot of people on Twitter, like crypto Twitter, that you really shouldn't trust. You shouldn't trust anything they say. And most of those people have the highest number of um, people following them. They have the, you know, they make a lot of money because they make money to sell people products and sell people crypto and get people to buy things. That's, that's how they make their money. Sponsorships and then direct sales. And so, you know, when you're looking at people, like, for example, I don't profit off of people buying and selling and trading Bitcoin. I don't, I don't have any sponsors. I don't have any of that going on. And so um, I'm coming from where I've studied real world traditional markets and finance and how to do trading and how to be a stockbroker. And so I know the, the real world terminology, I know the real world scenario and the reason why I say real world in this case is because there's so much online stuff that's not even real it's just bull crap to sell you something and that comes from the mass media the non-mass media I mean everywhere um, if you think that your state doesn't push out ads for a specific reason no they do your state don't sit there and push out ads about how cheap it costs to get a new license for wildlife refuge or whatever or to hunt or whatever or for fishing they, don't do that on, they do that on purpose because they're trying to make sales. And, and so you have this, this scenario where it's like um, every person you come across online that talks about a product or an asset or thing, you kind of have to look at them with a grain of salt until you do your own research. And then you can come back and figure out what's going on. So um, with, okay, so we've kind of talked about cost and, meant compared to the actual value of a product so we've talked, so now you can understand how those two values actually work together we've talked about a little bit how a real world scenario can cause a TA scenario which can you know go take an asset from being dying to live to living to growing and so as you hear people talking all this stuff like when you hear um, people sit there and say well, the price of gold has never been Higher, where price of gold also hasn't really been lower, and the price of gold hasn't really moved. It, it moves here and there, but it stays around the exact same range since like 30, 40 years or so. And that's because it's extremely regulated. Like, it's illegal to actually stockhold gold in America. People don't realize this, but if you get caught with, uh, I think it's like five or more bars under 50 grams um, or 50 pounds or something like that, it, it's illegal. Um, if you have any gold bar over 50 grams or 50 pounds, I can't remember which one it is, then it's illegal. If you have raw gold in your house, un, you know, just straight out of the ground, 
it hasn't been um, uh, smelted or anything like that. It hasn't been changed. It's the exact way it was when you found it. It's actually illegal in America to stockhold that. What that means is that you have any amount of it that you never plan on selling. So even if you went to a place where you basically they they make sure there is gold there, and there's ways to do that, um, and you get these bits of gold flakes, no, they're not going to do anything. You you would have to have pounds upon pounds of gold flakes sitting in your home or in a, an office or in a vault somewhere for the for the government to give a crap. But if you had half a pound of a gold nugget, okay, half a pound gold nugget, it's a lot of money sitting somewhere in your house and you don't plan on selling it. And you Maybe you had it appraised, but you never actually went to go sell it or anything. Um, that is illegal. Um, gold in many forms is illegal. And that's mostly because if the government didn't regulate how gold is being sold, transferred, held, I mean everything, the value of that gold could go to zero. And at the time that a lot of the gold regulation went on, um, you know, like America and a lot of countries kind of backed their value off of gold. And that was a huge thing. Nowadays, there's country value isn't backed by anything. You know, there's more stuff backing Bitcoin than there is stuff backing gold. And um, that's that's the honest truth about it. Uh, you know, there's absolutely nothing backing your fiat and the only thing back in your gold, the price of your gold, is the government. No joke. And it's not just one government. It's multiple governments working in a correlation. Because if someone was to come across a mine and pull out um, 100 pounds of gold today, or like Elon Musk has been talking about, he's going to go mine gold out of an asteroid, and he'd say he brings back 100 pounds of gold, that could actually offset the value of gold so much that... It could go down, you know, 80%, 90%. But at the same time, it could go up 30 40%. It has this really strange scenario. And then, like, space gold compared to earth gold, space gold could be worth more. No joke. It costs more to get. So the price to get it, so the people selling it, it's going to be higher. No joke. So there's actually a chance that, you know, some gold might be worth more than other gold. And it's like, there's tons of water in space. Imagine if someone went out and just grabbed all that water. That'd be much more expensive than the water here on Earth. Um, even though there'd be less filtering needed and stuff like that, I mean, it'd be still more expensive. And so, um, when we see... The reason why I'm bringing this up is because when we see, um, like in crypto, when we see Bitcoin being forked, Bitcoin's one of the most forked projects there is. Okay, it, It's been forked and more coins exist based off of its code than any other cryptocurrency out there. And that's because uh, Bitcoin has really held the test of time. Bitcoin has had so many different attacks and hacks and things done to it that they actually, you know, the, the developers over time have actually developed a code that so far is pretty dang stable. Um, and people will tell you, oh, it's unaudited code. And audited code don't really mean anything. That just means that someone who's like a code expert, went over it and made sure there's no bugs. That's really what that means. It doesn't mean that it's, the product's not going to screw you. It doesn't mean anything like that. It literally just means that there are 
no visual bugs in the code. That doesn't mean that when you run the code, there won't be bugs. That doesn't mean anything like that. So when you hear companies now, especially nowadays in crypto, you, you know, DeFi caused this whole unaudited code thing. And it's like with Bitcoin, you're supposed to audit all your own code. You're supposed to audit your own, the code yourself, test it yourself, because anyone can build code for Bitcoin. Anyone can build a wallet. Anyone can, you know, do all these features. And just about all the features that we have in cryptocurrency with Bitcoin can be done offline. Bitcoin can be offline. We only need the internet for Bitcoin to make it trustless. And so, um, when you when you have these people shilling and stuff, they're using a lot of terms to try to trick you to buy something so they can make money. Okay, And it doesn't really matter what market you're in, they're going to exist. You think Robinhood isn't lying to you to sell you product? I bet you they are. You don't think Cash App is ever lying to you to sell you product? I bet they are. You don't think Coinbase is ever lying to you to sell you product? Actually, they're in the middle of a lawsuit. They're about to be in a lawsuit about exactly that. So yeah, I bet they are. And that, that's what it comes down to. It's like, there's not a whole lot of companies that are actually honest. Like, car dealerships lie to you to sell you cars. And a lot of times, it's not the actual dealership or the manufacturer lying to you. It's the salesperson lying to you. And that's the shiller. When you go buy a car, whatever company or whoever you talk to, when I say company, I mean whatever website, whoever you talk to, they are shilling you that product. If I don't know if you've ever rented a car, but I, I've been in that experience a few times, and I've noticed that car rental places, like the, the people, don't really care what car you get unless they, you know, you say, okay, I need eight, I got eight people, but the car only seats six. That's when they start saying, okay, look, you're going to need a bigger car. But online, it's like a constant, you need a bigger car, you need a bigger this, you need more this, you need more that. And, you know, you need to get the luxury version of that same car for $150 more. And so it's like all, all these all these things they're using to, to sell you the product. And if you go fast food, um, almost all fast food places have this rule where they have to try to upsell you something. And upsell traditionally means increase what you have. Like, so I'll, I get the large version instead of the regular size version or... If it's a single patty burger, I'll get, you know, they might try to sell me a double patty burger. If I get this miniature version burger, they might try to sell me the full version burger. If I got the fries drink and a burger, and they might try to sell me onion rings with it. So now, that last one, if you notice, it's actually adding on to the ticket. So that's where up value still is considered the same thing. They're trying to upsell you something to increase the value of your ticket. You go into a place... Buy anything. Find everything alright? Is there anything you missed? Literally, that's an upsell technique. Did you find everything alright? Because if you didn't, they might be able to get someone to help you find it. Might be able to get it back on your ticket. Did you find everything you missed? Did you find, was there anything you missed? Believe it or not, I, I actually remember a time where people used to ask that question all the time, like at Walmart. And they used to have like a notepad. And... If you said, yeah, I didn't see this, this, or that, they'd write that they'd write that down. And what they were doing was they would write this stuff down and they'd give it to the managers. Managers would give it to the managers, blah, 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 goes up the chain, and then eventually someone within that store would go, Okay, do we have these in the store? Do we sell these? And if you get enough increase for something, they'll get it in the store. You know, nowadays they don't do any of that. They use um 
algorithms to figure out what they need and what they don't need. Which in some ways is actually really better, and in some ways it's really not. But then is the problem with uh, our, you know, automation is it does fail. It's not perfect. You know, robot machines that pack all your food still misses cans, still misses bottles. There's bottles being shipped every day that don't have the top on it. So doing your own research is really, really important. Um, learning this stuff on your own is really, really important. And then using more than one source to learn that is really, really important. Because a shiller can use anything to their advantage. They can use any scenario of a system. You know, the market cap of Bitcoin is, over the, is above the market cap of uh, Berkshire Hathaway shares, which is the uh, Warren Buffett. He, you know, he, he made that company super valuable by buying and selling their stock. That's where he made a lot of his money, buying and selling their stock. So... You know, do, do people use this stuff all the time to get you to purchase? Does the actual market cap of Bitcoin matter? No. Does the market cap of any cryptocurrency matter? No. The thing that matters more than market cap is circulating supply. Circulating supply is the liquid amount of that asset, which means that at any point in time, either on that mar that marketplace or throughout all the marketplaces that offer that product, you could purchase that amount right now. And get it. The higher that circulating supply is, the lower that value is going to go. The lower that circulating supply is, the higher that value is going to go. And again, that's that's more the whole world A causes TA. Um, and what that really comes down to is like, if the circulating supply is high, so that means it's above the amount of that product or asset or crypto being mined, minted, or made per year, then the value of that asset should be low for the fact that uh, it is easier to obtain on the second-hand market than to obtain new. And what you have when you have that kind of scenario, there are people that will... I mean, there are people that buy toys knowing they're going to be a limited-item toy, so, when there are no more toys to buy, you have to go to them, and they can charge you more, right? But there are also people who buy a toy, which they know is an, you know, a shitload of it's made every day, because they will be able to sell that toy to someone in a different area who doesn't have the same availability of the toy as you, and then you can turn. They will turn around. And go back and buy that toy at a cheaper price and make a small profit. And do it over and over and over and over. And um, those are called flippers, in case you're ever wondering. Flippers don't just flip. Um, flippers don't actually flip rare assets. They tend to flip um, common assets. But it just, they sell them in areas where it's not common or it's harder to find. Like, I drink Venom Energy Drink. I have friends up north in america that don't even know what it is because they can't get it you know i mean this stuff is um, manufactured in texas i live near texas so it's easier for me to get so me getting venom by the cases and then selling them online for 50 cents extra i could make money selling it 
for a dollar extra plus the cost of shipping and stuff, I, I could actually make a killing if people wanted up north. And see, that's the other thing. Is if people wanted up north, you always run into that, that problem, right? And um, that's the other thing. Is like a, So we talked about why does the value go down if the, there's more second-hand market of an asset than what's being made that year? So why do they do the opposite? Why, when there's less on the second-hand market than being made that year, is it more valuable? Well, because you run this chance that there might not actually be that product out there. PS5. Okay, so PlayStation 5s were being mostly sold online this year, and it killed them because there was a lot of bots that picked them up. And there was a lot of robots that just purchased these things automatically, and basically you never, you couldn't buy one online unless you was going through one of these uh, people that, that bought it, and now they're selling it way higher than they should be, you know, eBay and stuff like that. And then um, what that caused was there were people putting in, you know, instead of a, you know, five thousand dollars for a gaming machine, they were putting in eight thousand, ten thousand, twelve thousand, seventeen thousand, twenty thousand dollars for a gaming machine that cost like what thousand dollars or less. <laughs> and it, it's crazy. But then there were people that found out if I just posted a picture and said you were buying a picture, people would still pay twenty grand for it. Not because they, they wouldn't pay attention to see, is that a PlayStation? Is that a PS5? They just saw the picture, it's a PS5. Boom. This is the cheapest price around, I gotta get it high. I gotta make it price higher so no one will get it. Boom. Now a picture of a PS5 sold for $15,000. Yep. And so there are actual people out there that could not get a PlayStation 5. They couldn't trust the second-hand market because of all of the BS, and they couldn't get it in real life because there physically weren't none. So that's why they're not having the product or having less um, available in the second market than what's being made is, you know, an issue, and it causes the price to go up. If there were just more on the second-hand market, the price wouldn't have gone up that high. Pictures of the PS5 wouldn't have been sold for that much. You know, but unfortunately, there were. Alright, so that was a, a lot of the information just kind of back to back to back to back. And I tried to get it in a flow where it made sense going through the whole thing. So, we talked about values, where they considered from how they're considered and little things like that we didn't be too specific but we used specific examples to give generalized um, ideals to show you kind of difference between crypto gold products and that, that should help you understand more of what i'm trying to explain try to help you make better judgment of what asset you want to buy and things like that to be more aware of who's shilling and who's just giving out information who's being truthful and who's not you know so that just basically runs down to uh, doing your own research like we people in the crypto space have been saying this forever um, I remember when I was getting the hash cash 
didn't do my own research first, and I got screwed. I actually had bought fake Hashcash. Hashcash that was not even Hashcash. And then after I got Hashcash and stuff, and I was like, this seems weird. How am I supposed to use this online? This don't seem right. And then I did my own research and found out, oh shit, that was a complete and total fake. I just got screwed. You know, it helps. And then when I did my own research, I found out that Hashcash was broken, but still being used. So then it was like, okay, how is it being used and why? How can I get into that? You know? And so doing your own research, it really matters. And then you run into errors where you have problems like people who did their own research on Ripple in 2016 could only go to the Ripple website for data because it's the only place that had data on it. Well, the Ripple website was made and operated and maintained and everything by the people who made Ripple. So it was like, that shouldn't be a trustworthy source. You know, if the person who made Bitcoin produced a website giving information about Bitcoin, I wouldn't trust it. But, but that person never did. The person wrote a white paper, then built it, then mined, and then it went, you know, it's been public ever since. Actually, then it's been technically public since before it was made. Um, you know, before it was finished being coded. So, yeah, that kind of shows intent of not trying to screw people. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's just, when you come down to it, you have to, you have to go to more than one resource, and then you have to see who their sources are. Because um, there's now, nowadays, you know, if you're 2020, you want to do research on Ripple, there's probably 20 sites you can go to that talk about just Ripple. They all refer to the Ripple website. And the main reason why all this is so bad is like Ripple was being um, under jurisdiction. They were basically being considered a monopoly at one time. So the Ripple website changed like within one minute. Like what if you were on the website, okay, and the specific minute passed and you hit refresh or moved it to a different page on the website, the data on the website changed from who made Ripple to even like the name of Ripple changed. It went from Ripple to XRP. And I mean like, so like all these things happen within one minute. At one specific minute, everything changed. So if you did your research in 2016 on Ripple, and then did your research again in 2017, you would have noticed the change. And now if you do your research now in 2020, and you did it back then, and back then, you'll notice a change. And so it's like, if a company is showing intent to screw you or something like that, they're, they're going to constantly change and deny it every single time, like Ripple. And now Ripple is being looked at as a possible um, securities which it is and even ripple admitted in like 2015 that they are securities so or they could be considered securities so yeah even they understood that they were they were just shilling their own product um and i think that should bring us to our last point where it's like with bitcoin um something you'll hear people who don't understand bitcoin say all the time is like well Bitcoin has no value. Bitcoin has no intrinsic value. Bitcoin is 
not backed by anything, blah, blah, blah. Bitcoin is backed by the miners every second they are mining. Bitcoin is its own product. That's the big thing. Bitcoin is its own product. You, you can't go get gold out of the ground and it be a product. No, it has to be forged and smelted and changed and put into a product. And gold normally has more value as a product than it has gold. Bitcoin, sorry, Bitcoin is its own product. Bitcoin doesn't have to do anything. Once you have Bitcoin, it's usable. Fine as day. The only time that that's not true is when you're not actually down with Bitcoin. And from altcoins to paper Bitcoin, if you buy Bitcoin from PayPal and you try to send it to your wallet, it will not work. You try to send it to your off PayPal wallet, it will not work because they are not actually using Bitcoin, they're using paper Bitcoin. Which means when you buy and sell Bitcoin there, you're not actually buying and selling Bitcoin. When you transact with Bitcoin there and they say, well, you had to pay a transaction fee based on the transaction fees of the actual Bitcoin system, you didn't actually pay a transaction fee. You just had to pay PayPal more money to transact the same money you was already going to transact because merchants on PayPal do not receive Bitcoin. So maybe think about that for a minute. Consumers can buy and sell Bitcoin, but if they use Bitcoin, the merchants they're using it to cannot will not receive Bitcoin. So what are you actually buying and selling? Nothing. What are you actually transacting with? Cash. Yeah. You gotta do a lot of research. And to be honest, the research for PayPal is a simple Google search. <laughs> Who did PayPal partner with to get cryptocurrency. Boom, it'll bring it up. And it will actually probably bring it up as a little um, snippet. You know, we don't have to go into any website and it will actually put it out there for you right here. This is who it is. Um, so, yeah, just doing your own research, it really counts, it makes a difference. And sometimes doing your own research actually requires you to get involved make a purchase to make a small purchase and try it maybe you go to a, to a market and say okay I'm going to buy a dollar's worth of this and see if I can use it and you might not use it to buy a product because buying a product for a dollar or less would probably be difficult but can I send it to myself can I make another wallet and just send it to that wallet you know little things like that it's like uh, the toys that's supposed to light up and stuff you can test them out right yeah you can test out other products you you can't buy a stock test it out but you can buy crypto and test it out yeah so you basically you've gone through the basics and a little bit of advancement of what you need to know to make proper purchases of cryptocurrencies to be able to do your own research, to be able to determine if the research you've done is valid, to figure out if price of Bitcoin might go up or down, if now is the time to buy, I mean, all these features. And 
might have to listen to it a couple times to really get that information in and figure out how to use it and maybe try to do some stuff and come back and listen and, and go back and forth and that's perfectly okay that's part of research research isn't it let me read something one time and assume I understood it it's let me do this as much as I have to to know I understood and that's the end of today's episode I don't have any outro sponsors or anything so I'm just going to go ahead and leave you here and uh, enjoy your day and thank you for uh, listening.